Greetings, friends, fellow citizens, fellow patriots, and even non-citizens, and welcome to this solemn January 6, 2024 presentation of the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski. I'm the host of this podcast, and I'm the president of the We the People Convention, which is responsible for this podcast, for our website, for our emails and text messages, for our phone app, for our donations to other conservative groups, uh, for our uh, you know trips to speak to other groups around the country. And we thank our generous donors for making that all of that possible. What you just saw, and I apologize for those who are listening to the audio-only version of the podcast, was the trailer to our friend and political prisoner Jake Lang's documentary, which is going to air immediately after this podcast at uh, the website patriotdaymovie.com. And it's not with an S, it's patriotdaymovie.com. And uh, I haven't seen the movie. It's just going to premiere today on January 6th to commemorate the third anniversary as Jake and so many others uh, spend, you know, three years in prison without a trial, without even a trial date, often in solitary confinement. And we're going to talk about, you know, some of the things that they've suffered. But today we're going to remember and we're going to, you know, we're going to, you know, set the record straight as it were, because this is an important day. And I like the fact that he called it Patriot's Day. I, I hope that someday in the future that it will become, a, a, it will be called Patriot's Day because of what these people did to stand up to the coup that was conducted on our country where the left stole control of our government. Because I got news for you folks, that was not an insurrection, but don't believe me. Let me read this. I thought this was a really good uh, really good editorial about the whole thing. Because again, just this week, Joe Biden put out his first campaign ad. You know what it's all about? January 6th. Not about the border, not about the economy, not about inflation, not about the wars in Israel and Ukraine. No, no. The biggest threat and what Joe Biden is here to do is protect democracy, don't you know? Yeah. Well, listen what uh, Robert Spencer said in Front Page Magazine a year ago, in January of 2023. Remember, there was no insurrection on January 6, 2021. Old Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and the rest of the Democratic establishment spent last Friday last year commemorating what the left would have us believe was a greater threat to our democracy than Pearl Harbor or 9-11. In face of the big of this big lie that keeps getting bigger, it's important to remember there actually was no insurrection. There was no plan, no leader, no weapons, and no casualties except among those who entered the Capitol after the police opened the doors. President Trump, who was supposed to be the ringleader of the insurrection, told the demonstrators to proceed peacefully. And two years of relentless investigations have turned up no evidence, despite breathless media reports to the contrary, that he ever wanted anyone to overthrow the government and install him as some kind of president for life. In the face of a failed post-presidency impeachment attempt and a January 6th committee that recommended that Trump be indicted despite the conspicuous conspicuous lack of evidence that he did anything for which he should be indicted, the left establishment is not backing off one bet. 
Instead, Joe Biden and his henchmen are doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down to create a mythology of what happened on January 6th. Last, on Friday of last year, Biden even canonized saints for his new religion, wearing the President's Citizen Medal to 12, 12, just like the apostles, people who supposedly held the line against the vicious insurrectionists. These 12 he declared embodied the best before, during, and after January the 6th in 2021. He claimed that history will remember your names, they'll remember your courage, they'll remember your bravery, they'll remember your extraordinary commitment to your fellow Americans. No, we don't remember them. We don't know who they are at all. Old Joe didn't say anything, of course, about Ashley Babbitt or Roseanne Boylan, Trump supporters who were actually killed that day by the police. He did not mention Capitol Police Officer. He did mention Capitol Police Officer Williams Evans, who he claimed died due to threats by these sick insurrectionists. He died from threats. Joe Biden actually said this in his speech last year. Wow, those must have been some strongly worded threats indeed. But the New York Times, in a Thursday recap of those who died in connection with the Capitol riot, doesn't even mention Evans. And the Times, as worthless and biased as it is, had very good reason to leave him out. William Evans wasn't killed during the insurrection at all. He, he, was, uh, he wasn't killed by threats by these six insurrectionists. He was, in fact, killed in April of 2021, three months after the supposed insurrection, when a Nation of Islam supporter named Noah Green rammed his car into him. Biden, true to form, wasn't finished lying. Just as Jesus had 70 disciples beyond the 12 apostles, so also now Biden moved to create an outer circle of saints and martyrs for his new religion. He opined that for some who attended his bogus January 6th ceremony, the occasion was bittersweet. For the trauma was ever widening. More than 140 law enforcement officials suffered physical injuries, and untold numbers are suffering from psychological toll of that day as well. Yeah, out of guilt for knowing what they did was wrong. As old Joe himself would say, come on, man. Mark Levin pointed out absolutely on Friday, more tight people died from the BLM riots in the summer of 2020 than died on January 6th. More babies die every day from abortion on demand than died on January 6th. What's more, the people who were actually killed on January 6th were not defending the Capitol, but were among the supposed insurrectionists. So where is Joe Biden's concern for the psychological toll of the Black Lives Matter riots on America or the psychological toll of abortion on demand? Biden doesn't care about any of that. And if he was fully aware of what he was reading off the teleprompter, it's unlikely that he even he himself believed it. It was all just part of his sinister authoritarian program to stigmatize, demonize, and ultimately criminalize legitimate political opposition in the United States. The real threats to our democracy are the ones who most loudly proclaim that they are intent on saving it. Remember that. The real threats to democracy are the people who keep telling you they're defending it. Okay? Uh, let's see here. I'm sorry. Uh, as in Kamala Harris's January 6th statement last year, on January 6, 2021, American democracy endured a violent assault armed with deadly weapons and animated by lies and hate. Insurrectionists invaded the United States Capitol in an attempt to overturn a lawful election and silence the voice of the people. There are so many lies in that statement, it's almost, you can barely count them, okay? Because there weren't deadly weapons. And we weren't there to overthrow the government. We were there to get the government to do their damn job and, and look closely at the election. 
But they didn't, did they? No, American democracy is continuing to endure a violent assault from those who claim that what happened on January 6th constitutes an insurrection. And that, as old Joe intoned last September, Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. The threat to our republic is coming from those who would rule half of our electorate out of bounds of, a, of acceptable discourse. That's what the left's January 6th story is all about. Fascist advancing fascism and the fascists aren't the mega republicans i thought that was really well said and that's the truth but remember okay our flag is upside down because not because we disrespect our nation our flag is upside down because we are in dire distress of extreme danger to life and property from our government from these tyrants who illegally stole our government. The big lie, you know, isn't that there was no insurrection. The big lie is that the election wasn't stolen, okay? That's the big lie. But remember, you know, what, um, what they said, you know, Goebbels, the, the, the Nazi said, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. And that's why they keep repeating it over and over and over and over. And that's why you and I have to keep pushing back and saying it wasn't an insurrection. It was a protest that got out of control. And it was quite frankly, we believe the evidence will eventually show that it was a fedsurrection, not an insurrection. But let us first do this. We need to remember those who have died. This is an important thing. And, and so here's their pictures. Four people were killed on January 6, 2021. Benjamin Phillips, Roseanne Boylan, Ashley Babbitt, and Kevin Greeson. May they rest in eternal peace. Now, you know that in this podcast, for those of you who are new, we don't just talk, we take action in defense of our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. It's not Republicans versus Democrats, okay? It's the state versus the individual. It's our individual freedom versus serving the state and the state being in control of our lives. We want to be in control of our lives. So we take action. So this morning, I posted this tweet on Twitter, okay? And I'll read it to you. Today is the third anniversary of the January 6, 2021 protest at the U.S. Capitol at which four patriots were killed, either directly or indirectly, by police action. Why is it that this is the only picture of the four of them that I could find anywhere? Why is it that you can find thousands of pictures of the criminals George Floyd and Michael Brown who were not murdered by police, but the media propaganda complex will not show the American public the pictures of these, of these patriots who were, who were. Share this post now so everyone will see their names and remember them today and forever. That's my post that I put up. So, my first ask of the day. I want you to stop the podcast right now, and I want you to either go to Twitter or True Social and go to Tom Z, WTPC, and I want you to repost that post with their pictures. 
If you're on Facebook, Instagram, or some of the other things which for which we're banned, I will link on our podcast page the picture of these four individuals who were killed by the state, and you can copy it and put it on your Facebook page, put it on Instagram, put it everywhere you possibly can. Now, I will say to you that I'm really disappointed because, as you know, we're back on Twitter. I just showed you my tweet. And because why? Because Elon Musk has been talking about freedom of speech. He's been talking about protecting our right to express ourselves. But what is really surprising to me is that when I posted this this morning, I was going to boost it. I was going to spend money so that it would be shown to tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people on Twitter. There was no promote link. They wouldn't let me do it. We're being censored. This whole thing is a lie. And, it's, and it's, it survives only because no one knows the truth. No one ever saw their faces on TV. No one knows their names but you and me. That's why it took hours for me to find this one picture. And it didn't even have their names on it. I had to use an AI tool to search. I found one picture. I'm asking you right now to change that. I'm asking you to post their picture everywhere because we can never forget their sacrifice. We can never forget what our government did that day to these people. Okay? And so when I say, you know, they were, they were ki either killed directly, I mean, actually, Bobbitt was murdered. And that police officer needs to be charged with murder. He was murdered by a uh, Capitol Police officer, you know, that day. And, and then Roseanne Boylan was beaten to death. It was just literally beaten to death. And they claim, oh, she died uh, of an accidental overdose. And that Benjamin Phillips and, uh, and Kevin Greeson, you know, died of heart attacks and a stroke. Except they didn't say that they were under unbelievable stress because of the flashbangs and the tear gas and the assault by the police on their lives. They were killed. And see, Julie Kelly, the great Julie Kelly, who's covered this, and she's got a substack, who's covered this more than anyone, has been so good about going to the courts and listening to the trials. She's seen more video than anyone. And I told you a few weeks ago, Julie Kelly said, when the video finally gets out, and yes, damn it, Congressman Jordan, you keep promising us. But we don't have the video. Mike Johnson, Speaker, you're going to release the video. You haven't yet. Because Julie Kelly says, when the video is finally out, what the American public will see was that these people weren't rioting to attack the police, they were defending themselves from the attack from the police. They were fired on. Innocent protesters were fired on and injured by the police. That's the truth about January 6th. So I was happy to see this this morning from Tom Fenton while I was on Twitter. I happened to see that they are filing Judicial Watch is filing a $30 million wrongful death lawsuit against the U.S. government on behalf of Ashley Babbitt's husband and estate. And I think that's long overdue. And I thank Tom Fitton and Judicial Watch, who we've worked with and who we support uh, and you should support 
for doing that. I saw another story this morning of another January 6th woman who's suing the police for punching her in the face after she pleaded for them. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing nothing. Don't hit me. They beat her. She's suing. But on the other hand, I saw a story this morning that came out yesterday that a court ruled that even if you were let in by the police, you went into the building, you didn't do any damage, you were peaceful, you just walked around and walked out, you can still be charged with disorderly conduct because your presence there helped to delay the, the vote, you know, approval of the vote by Congress. And, and people are getting a year, a year sentence. Okay? So we, we, we want to remember the dead, but now we also want to remember those who are who survived, who are here, okay? And hold on a second, I've got to load this. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me I'm, it's important because I want I want to load this, okay? One second. I guess I just have to type in something and, and load this video. This is a video that's a scroll of the uh, prisoner of the people who've been charged. And I, and I and I want to I'm gonna post this, you know, on uh, you know our on the on our podcast page so you can read this whole article. But I, I've got this list of patriots that I want to scroll while I read about this. Okay. Now hold on one second. Uh, fit to screen. And transform, and I have to turn the audio up. So hold on. This is from National Public uh, Radio's website, and I will make this uh, clear, and then I'm going to read. You can see the pictures they're reading here. And uh, and so let me just read this. As you look, as they're so proud that they've posted all the names of all the people, an overview of the cases so far. So far. The number of people who are charged by the federal government so far, as of right now, is 1,232. The number of people who have pleaded guilty are 728. The number of individuals who have had jury, bench, or stipulated bench trials, 169. And you can see their faces and names scrolling across your screen. The number with mixed verdicts are 46. The number convicted on all charges is 120. The number acquitted of all charges is only three. The number of people sentenced are 745. The percentage of people sentenced who have received prison time is 64. The median sentence for those receiving prison time in days is 150. And the number of cases dismissed is nine. You're going to get a link on our podcast page that lists every single person that they've arrested and charged with what they supposedly did and where their case stands. Okay. We cannot forget them. As, as I've said to you, we, we always pray for the January 6th prisoners because they're the canary in the mine. They, they are us. This is what Joe Biden and the fascist left want to do to everyone who opposes their political power. And so as we do in every podcast since then, we say a quick prayer, a short prayer, for all the January 6th political prisoners, for their families, and for their lawyers. I've got some news on that after we say our prayer. Please join me and pray for them.
Thank you very much. I'm happy to announce that um, while I, I talked to you last week and before about Patrick Byrne, who, uh, who uh, had uh, uh, you know had promised to donate like $500,000 to the January 6th Legal Defense Fund. And I gave you last week the Give, Send, Go account uh, you know, so we could do that. Unfortunately, we needed to raise that by $500,000 by Christmas Day, and we only reached like $445,000. But Patrick Byrne, Jake Lang told me that Patrick Byrne gave the January 6th Defense Fund $186,000. And then by New Year's, we had actually reached the $500,000 mark. So we're close to $700,000 in, in funds for the defense of the January 6th prisoners. And that's great news. And Jake also told me that the Byrne gave $186,000 to another January 6th group that was looking for money for their lawyers. So thank you for all of you who donated. Thank you for acting in defense okay of of these patriots so that was that was very good news now the bad news is that you know we have to face the ugliness the reality of this and this story is in gateway pundit i'm not going to read a lot of it because quite frankly it's upsetting to me and it'll be upsetting to you but this is what you're fighting against you're fighting against lawlessness okay hey it's one thing if you fought with a policeman it's one thing if you broke windows, if you broke laws. Sure, we believe in the rule of law, not of men. This isn't that. This is tyranny. This is tyranny. This is January 6th hostage, Ryan Samuel. He reveals exactly how the FBI tortures him for refusing to flip on Trump and thanks J6 hostage, Zachary Real, for saving his life. The U.S. Bureau of Prisons acts as the coercion arm of the politically weaponized Department of Justice, torturing January 6th political hostages to coerce them into flipping on Trump in exchange for their freedom. Viral photographs of Sam Cell, allegedly locked in a hard cell in FDC uh, prison in Philadelphia, are a glimpse of the cruel and unusual treatment he is enduring in a series of assaults by correctional officers in pretrial custody and attempts by dirty cops to manipulate him with enhanced interrogation to cooperate in a plea agreement. So, okay, this is a picture of him supposedly in this cell. As you can see, it looks like a janitor's closet. All right. During multiple interrogations, FBI agents allegedly pressured Samsell into making a deal that entailed affirming their bogus narrative claiming that January 6th was an insurrection, was conspired by the Proud Boys and President Trump to, or, to go home or pay the price. Either he testifies to that or he's rots in jail. The feds also tried to bribe Samuels into framing Proud Boys leader Joseph Biggs with having a gun on January 6th, but Samuels refused. Okay, uh, let's see. There was a, an article posted in the New York Times claiming, Samuel said, that I was going to be the smoking gun. I was going to testify against the Proud Boys during their trial, and I wasn't. So I was locked in a room in D.C., he said. Inside, the cops asked me if I was going to testify. I said no. People began spreading their lies and all these rumors. I said I'm not testifying. That's when they ended up beating the shit out of me and telling me that I better start learning to cooperate and I better start doing what the government tells me to do or times will get real tough. That's when I was assaulted the first time. 
Once I arrived in Philadelphia, I was placed in solitary confinement on the eighth floor, locked in 24-7 with no windows, no books, no nothing. The lights are never turned off. I could not store food, and they fed, little, mean, fed me little to nothing. The, the CEOs in Philadelphia are extremely liberal and hated me because I'm a J6ers. So they were going to torture me and get away with it. Okay? Now, this story goes on to say that he was denied food. That another prisoner, and that's why he says that Zachary Real saved his life, that another prisoner was having to send him food through the pipes of the toilet so he could survive. Is that, is that America? Or is that Soviet gulags? Is that the gulag archipelago that Solzhenitsyn told us about? This has got to end, and these people have to be punished. Now, I'm going to link to this article in our podcast page, and you need to read it, and you need to share it, because that's what we're fighting against. What we're fighting for is individual freedom and liberty and the rule of of law. We're fighting to restore our Constitution. And you're going to hear more about that in this podcast. And we're going to win that fight. But that's what 2024 is about. And January 6th isn't just some event that you just pass off. And it sure as hell wasn't an insurrection, right? That they're going to try to push it. They're going to try to get people to vote for the fool Joe Biden out of fear that we're going to be the ones that take over the country and, and just go after people for no reason. We're not doing that. We're going to go after people for real reasons, just like the left went after Donald Trump with, for impeachment with no evidence. He did nothing wrong. There was no Russia, Russia. The Russians didn't help him win in 2016, okay? They had nothing they're the, they're the show me the man and I'll show you the crime party. We're the people who are going after Joe Biden and Hunter Biden with stacks of evidence, with bank records, with $5 million transfers, with testimony from their business partners. That's who we are. That's what we're fighting for. We're fighting against the left's tyranny. We're fighting for the rule of law and justice for all. Okay, just to be clear. So in the midst of all of this nonsense, okay, you, you got to love the fact, remember that, oh, January 6th, white nationalism, the military is full of this because some veterans were at the event. Well, they just announced a study just this week found no extremism problem in the military despite Biden administration's narrative. This is a great story from Breitbart. A recently re released independent study showed that there was no extremism problem in the United States military, despite the Biden Pentagon making it a top priority to root out extremists. The study, which was commissioned by the Defense Department of Defense, conducted by the Institute for Defense Analysis, and publicly released just four days before Christmas, found no evidence that the numbers, number of violent extremists in the military is disproportionate to U.S. society. The report noted that the Pentagon's own data showed that there were fewer than 100 substantiated cases per year of extremist activity by members of the military in recent years, and the military has 2 million people. Okay? However, 
the Biden administration, as well as the establishment's media, focused on so-called extremism in the military, came to some veterans were found to have participated in a January 6th Capitol riot. Biden's then top military advisor, chairman of Chief Joyce of Stance, uh, staff of Army, Mark Milley, remember him? Famously told members of Congress during a hearing that he wanted to understand the white rage that he believed was behind the riot. And some of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's first moves as Defense Secretary were to stand up to countering extremism working group and to implement a force-wide stand-down for commanders to discuss extremism with their troops. A bunch of damn woke joke fools. Okay? And again, gaslighting the U.S. population. Because guess what? We weren't at we weren't at the Capitol for racist things. Joe Biden was white, okay? Oh, but they were white nationalists. They were racist. Of the more than 700 federal cases in which charges were publicly available a year after these events, fewer than 10 were for individuals who were serving in the military at the time, the study says. The study also found that there were only 73 veterans out of the more than 700 people charged, and that on average, they were separated from the military for nearly 15 years. A Wall Street Journal editorial board piece noted that the study was a welcome rebuke to the narrative that the military is a breeding gown for domestic terrorism. I got news for you. Domestic terrorism isn't our problem. Our problem is the twenty or 30,000 Chinese of military age who crossed our border. Our problem is the Islamists who crossed our border. This is a complete fake, Okay. It's a complete head fake. Oh, you know, be question your neighbor, question your 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 brother-in-law, question your your father, your grandfather. They're white nationalists, and they want to install Donald Trump forever as a dictator. But don't look at me, who's taking Donald Trump off the ballot so you can't vote for him. That's not an offense to democracy, right? Yeah, and we're going to talk more about that. I just uh, finishing up on the January 6th stuff before we talk about that. You know, I thought it was great in the middle of all this, and you probably missed it. Judge dismisses three civil counts against Trump, others over death of January 6th officer Brian Sicknick. A federal judge on Tuesday dismissed most of the civil counts against former President Donald Trump and two others in connection with the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick during the Capitol riots on January 6th. In a 12-page ruling, U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta dismissed three of the five civil counts in a lawsuit filed last, Saturday, last January by Sandra Garza, Sicknick's girlfriend. You know why? Because, guess what? Sicknick died of a stroke. He didn't get killed. Yet for a year, these people, including Trump and the other defendants, had to spend money in court to defeat this lie. You know why? Because the President of the United States and the Vice President and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and MSLSD and the Clinton News Network and the Washington Post and the New York Times kept saying that five police officers were killed by these horrible insurrectionists, Trump-supporting white nationalist rioters on January 6th, and none were killed. That was dismissed this week. Funny how that works, right? Yeah, good thing. Okay? So the big news this week was that the Colorado case, where they're trying to throw Trump off the ballot, 
went to the Supreme Court. And what's going to happen now, the Supreme Court has agreed to consider whether former President Donald Trump should be disqualified from the ballot in Colorado, thrusting the justices into the heart of the 2024 presidential campaign. The court will hear oral arguments in the case on Thursday, February 8th. Both Trump and Colorado voters who sued to bar him had asked the high court to weigh in and determine whether a part of the 14th Amendment designed to keep Confederates out of government after the Civil War should apply to former President Trump and leading the leading contender for the GOP nomination this year. The question is an urgent one since states are preparing to print ballots for absentee voters, military service members, and Americans overseas in the coming weeks. Colorado... Uh, voters in Colorado mostly vote by mail, and preparation for the contest on March 5th are well underway there. Colorado officials said Trump would remain on the ballot during the course of an appeal. Well, the bottom line is, all these, in Maine, everywhere, Trump's on the ballot, because this is going nowhere, folks. They have no, there's no there there. Trump's attorneys urged the Supreme Court to reverse the ruling quickly, arguing that if it is allowed to stand, it would mark the first time in the history of the United States that the judiciary has prevented voters from casting ballots for the leading majority party presidential candidate. The statement reads Friday, the Trump campaign said it would welcome a fair hearing by the nation's highest court. We are confident the fair-minded Supreme Court will unanimously affirm the civil rights of President Trump and the voting rights of all Americans. But, oh, the left is saying that Justice Thomas should recuse himself and that, uh, you know, they shouldn't rule on this. This is, this is defending democracy? No, no, that's attacking, you know, democracy, saying you can't vote for who you want. Guess what? The 14th Amendment says only Congress can keep you off the ballot and only if they try you for treason or insurrection and convict you. Donald Trump hasn't even been charged with it. No one's even suggesting he committed insurrection other than in their talking points and in their media, okay? So a lot of those talking points and stuff are coming from Jack Smith. And this is a good story because I, I, I told you about this a, a couple of shows ago, and it's really starting to get interesting. Appeals court hints it may consider constitutional questions about Jack Smith's appointments. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals hinted Tuesday that they were willing to review Jack Smith's eligibility to be the special counsel since he was not confirmed by the Senate as well as reviewing Smith's subpoena of Trump's phone records from the time he was in office. A ruling in either case for Trump could spell the collapse of Smith's entire case against the former president. If Smith's appointment is overturned, the new special counsel must be named and confirmed by the Senate and all of Smith's, Smith's work must be thrown out. If that's the case, new charges against Trump would probably not be heard until next year. They would never be heard at all because they're all bogus. If it if ruled that Smith did not have the authority to subpoena Trump's phone records, which seems likely, all the alleged evidence that came from those subpoenas must be tossed out. It is, it is long tried and true principle that the president must be free to consult with advisors without fear that the advice is confidential. The appeals court has ordered both parties to submit briefs in making their case in preparation for the court to hear the cases. Former Attorney General Edwin Meese III, along with law professors Steve Calabrese and Gary Lawson, have previously submitted a friend-of-the-court brief that makes the claim that Jack Smith was not properly made the special counsel. 
Trump's lawyers must also make their case that subpoenaing Trump's phone records is a violation of U.S. law, which it is. This is a great quote from Meese. Meese said, not, not properly clothed in the authority of the federal government, Smith is a modern example of the naked emperor. Illegally appointed, he has no more authority to represent the United States in court or in the underlying prosecution than Tom Brady, Warren Buffett, or Beyonce. I think they're going to win this, this case. I think Jack Smith is bogus. I think he's gone. And then Trump, I love Trump. I love the attorneys because they went on offense against Jack Smith. This is great. Trump accuses Jack Smith of violating court order, wants prosecutor held in contempt. Former President Donald Trump accused special counsel Jack Smith on Thursday of violating a court order, pausing the proceedings in the case against the former president in which he is accused of unlawfully plying to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Trump's re-election campaign said Trump wants to hold Trump, uh, Smith in contempt of court. Lawyers for Trump pointed to a stay of the proceedings granted by District Judge Tanya Chetkin and Obama appointee after they appealed the rejection of their request to dismiss the case. Although the appeal, which hinges on presidential immunity and double jeopardy claims, was taken up by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, Smith's team went along making submissions anyway, Trump's attorneys noted. Prosecutors violated last month's stay almost immediately by serving thousands of pages of discovery and a purported draft exhibit list, the 15-page filing said. Despite a warning from Trump that he would seek relief if their malicious conduct, conduct, conduct continued, prosecutors then filed a motion filled with partisan rhetoric, including false claims the following added. In this manner, the prosecutor seeks to weaponize the stay to spread political propaganda, knowing that President Trump would not fully respond because the court relieved him of the burden of litigation during the stay. Trump's legal team wrote, Worse, the prosecutors have announced their intention to continue this partisan-driven misconduct indefinitely, effectively converting the court's docket into a propaganda arm of President Joe Biden's election campaign. Trump's lawyers asked the federal court in Washington, D.C. to order prosecutors to show cause for why they should not be held in, camp, uh, in contempt, be required to withdraw their fines, be forbidden from making future productions without express permission from the court, and assess monetary sanctions for attorney fees and expenses incurred in the response. Hear, hear. Again, they don't care about the law. We care about the law. We're fighting for equal justice under the law. Jack Smith isn't for the law. He's a criminal. He was overturned nine to nothing by the Supreme Court in his most his most major case before this. He's a goon. He's a hit squad goon that the Bidens brought in to do what? To try to steal the election again, to do election interference. So I just want to tell you that lots of things are going our way. We have to keep fighting the fight. We have to keep fighting for January 6th, okay? To make sure that people understand, there was no insurrection. We weren't trying to overthrow the government. What was going on is the government was trying to make sure that we didn't stop them from stealing the election. That's what was happening on January 6th. So in the midst of all this, you know, the, the, the campaigns are starting. And I said, Biden put out his stupid little video about, you know, defending democracy and freedom are on the ballot. Don't you know? That dog won't, that, you know, dog won't hunt. Okay, it just won't. 
So Trump came out with this, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I wanted you to know that he's actually is not just fighting court cases. He's actually campaigning and making promises that you need to know about. And here's seven key campaign promises Donald Trump publicly made for a second term. This is an article from Breitbart, and I will post this on our podcast page for you to link to and download. Former President Donald Trump is pointing to his record when appealing to voters as he uh, vies first for the Republican nomination and ultimately the presidential election, the main event. While he's looking to build on what he established during his first four years, Trump has also recognized that America now has additional challenges that must be addressed should he win back the White House in 2024. Here are some of the key campaign promises Trump has made publicly this far, and this is in a two-hour interview with Breitbart at Mar-a-Lago. One, he said he wants to end woke gender ideology. While it did not stand as an issue as pressing as the current day during his first Trump term, Trump has promised to tackle the left-wing gender insanity pushed on children by the radical left, promising to end what he described as chemical, physical, and emotional mutilation of our youth on day one in office. So that's a good thing. He wants to address rampant crime. He's got to do that. That's why so many blacks and Hispanics are moving to Trump. Um, Trump plans to address rising crime by signing a record investment in higher retention and training for police officers because somebody has to undo what the left did by demonizing police with lies, with, with you know, the, the, the George Floyd, with all of it. It's all lies. Someone has to undo that. That has to be come from the top, from the president. So we're for that. He said um, he wants to protect women. In 2023, Trump signed a presidential promise to American women from the Concerned Women for America, vowing to uphold the truth that women are exclusively female. And so we're happy about that. He's going to champion parental rights. At the launch of his campaign, Trump made it clear that it is Biden who is committed to indoctrinating our children, even using the Department of Justice against parents who object to the indoctrination. So that's a big plus. He's, uh, he's going to fire warmongers and globalists. Trump has vowed to take on globalists, determining that World War III has never been closer than it is right now. We need to clean house of all the warmongers and America last globalists in the deep state in the Pentagon, the State Department, and the National Security Industrial Complex, he said in a campaign video. Hear, hear. He wants to go after the drug cartels. Trump promised to go after the drug cartels in the same way he went after ISIS during his first time, pointing to the absurdity of Biden's open borders policy, which he described as a deadly betrayal of our nation, and I would say an impeachable offense. And finally, he said he's going to protect the Second Amendment. In 2023, Trump promised that he would take Biden's executive order directing the federal government to target the firearms industry, and then will rip it up and throw it out on day one. So... There's more to that story. You need to you know, go and look at it, uh, and then you need to share it. Because again, you know, it's getting lost in this whole, you know, and it's their goal, right? The goal is Trump's a criminal. Don't vote for a criminal. Even though they probably aren't going to get to convict him in any of these things. And if they do, he still can appeal. But they're, they're going to say, oh, he's a convicted felon. That's the whole deal here. But it's all falling apart. And we got to keep letting people know that it's all bogus. So what is happening is the economy's in the tank. And 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 you know, people's personal income is not keeping up with expenses. And so, you know, I've talked to you over and over. Young people are now favoring Trump. Hispanics, 
39% of Hispanics support, uh, support Trump and only 34 Biden. That's an unbelievable number. Blacks, like 28% of blacks are for, for Trump over Biden. They can't win in those circumstances. So this interesting article came out and I texted it to you and I emailed it to you this week. And if you don't get our texts or emails, go to wethepeopleconvention.org, you know, right down there and, and sign up right on the front page. Put your email in and your phone number in so you can get these updates. But this story is really interesting. Can Trump win New York, New Jersey, Virginia, New Mexico, or Minnesota? Okay. Well, he thinks he can. And you know, Trump's got great political instincts, so I wouldn't doubt him if I were you. Uh, let's see. Former President Donald Trump told Breitbart News exclusively that assuming he wins the GOP nomination for president again, he will work to expand the universe of battleground states and expressly compete against Democrats uh, in states like New York, New Jersey, Virginia, Minnesota, New Mexico. Trump said he thinks he can compete in a number of these states that Republicans have not won in many years in presidential elections. He said he plans to do rallies in these states and work to try to win them, but maybe not as hard as the traditional battle states, battleground states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, but still, he threw out the idea of even going to Madison Square Garden and having a big rally. Now, in this article at WeThePeopleConvention.org, he actually goes into great detail by state of why he thinks he can win. And you know what? He might be right because things are so bad that people are understanding that we didn't have these wars when Trump was president. We didn't have these illegal immigrants in my neighborhood taking my tax dollars when Trump was president. I had a better job when Trump was president. And, and they're looking for someone else to vote for. And if Trump is willing to go and fight for their vote, folks, don't doubt him. He might get it done. So speaking of the border, which is the number 80%, 80% of Americans want the border closed. And so, as you know, and you probably heard in the news, like 60 congressmen went to the border and, and to see it this week before they came back to Washington. And the shutdown risks are growing with GOP's border fury. The risk of shutdown and a government shutdown is growing as Senate and House conservatives threaten to defund the government unless President uh, Biden and the Senate Democrats agree to secure the southern border. The border fight already has uh, hopelessly delayed a supplemental funding bill that includes aid to Ukraine and Israel. Now conservatives in both chambers are shifting their attention to regular spending bills, which they see as their greatest leverage to get Biden to crack down on the flow of immigrants to the country. They're going to be, there's going to be a big effort to make sure that we do nothing on funding unless we secure the border, Senator Rick Scott of Florida told The Hill on Wednesday. This is going to be a big fight. Everyone knows the southern border is now a clear and present danger, and the, uh, the country knows it. It's a clear and present danger. The number of migrants are staggering, and I'm going to work with anybody I can to make sure there won't be any funding bill done until we, there's a secure border. Everyone I've talked to in the House, that's, that's, where, that's where we they are, he added. Everybody I've talked to believes that. The government would enter a partial shutdown if Congress does not provide funding for military construction and the Departments of Veterans Affairs, Agriculture, Energy, Transportation, Housing and Urban Development by January 19th. The rest of the government must be funded by December, by February 2nd. So, next ask of the show, right? I asked you to go and post the Ashley Babbitt. The four people were killed on January 6th. That was my first ask. My second ask is I need you 
to drive your congressman insane. Call them, write them, use the web forms, okay? I'll post a link on our podcast page, but you know the drill. You must tell them, you, the, if the border isn't shut down, the government is shut down. If the border, if the border is open, then government will not be open. It's way too late. 300,000 people came in in 30 days last month. We can't sustain this. It's destroying us. So that's your task. Next week, drive your congressmen insane. They need to understand the American people, 80% of people want the border closed. It's up to us to make sure they do what they're saying. Oh, we're all going to, there's a big fight, big fight. It's all bull crap. It's all words until there is a fight. But here's some good news about this before we wrap up the first half of the podcast. Greg Abbott's stunning immigration win. Biden is likely to concede to GOP demands for border crackdown after Texas governor bust 95,000 migrants to sanctuary cities whose Dem mayors are now piling pressure on President Biden. Texas Governor uh, Greg Abbott appears to set, set for a huge victory on the border crisis as President Joe Biden and Washington Democrats look likely to cave on Republican demands for a crackdown on migrants. The Republicans posted on X on Tuesday announcing the success of his program to bus illegal migrants to Democratic cities. Um, Babbitt said his initiative has amounted to the transfer of nearly 100,000 migrants to such cities as New York, Boston, Denver, and Chicago, where leaders are being forced to find accommodations for them. Those Democrat-led areas build themselves as sanctuary cities that welcome migrants. But when the New York Times reported that their mayors are so perturbed by the migrant crisis, they've been pleading with the White House for help, with the president likely to offer Republicans previously unthinkable concession on migration laws. What Republicans appear to be targeting is what's known as credible fear interview, where asylum seekers argue they should stay in the U.S. because they would be in danger if they returned to their home countries. That's bullcrap. The White House and Homeland Security uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is also considering rules that would allow faster deportation, deportation of illegal migrants, considering a pipe dream at the beginning of the Biden administration. Mayorkas actually was asked by Brett Baer on TV Friday that if, they, if, the, if the Congress ordered him to stop all immigration coming in, he said he wouldn't do it. If that's not an impeachable offense, I don't know what is. But that's what we're faced with. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. So it looks like there's grounds for us to act, but you got to act. You and I got to take action. So call your congressman next week and let them know we will support you if you shut down the government to make sure the border gets shut down. And provably shut down. Not just talk. Mayorkas, you don't need power. We want to see. You don't get funded until we see the borders closed. All right, we're going to take a, a, a break here. I hope you enjoyed the first half of the show. I hope you enjoyed the part about um, January 6th. Please do watch the uh, Jake Lang documentary on uh, January 6th, which will uh, uh, is going to air right after this podcast is posted. Uh, it's at Patriot. Um, Patriot themovie.com patriotthemovie.com and, uh, and, and also I did have one other thing I want to suggest to you I went back and I watched my podcast 
which was done on January 8th, 2021, after we had been in D.C. I think I was still in D.C. And I did a one-hour podcast about what I saw there and what I thought was going to happen. I'm going to put a link to that on our podcast page because I think you would enjoy watching that. I think it would help give perspective to go back then and see what really happened. Okay? So we're going to do that. Lots of ass in the first half. Maybe not as many in the second half, but a few. But certainly news you're going to want to know and, and because it affects your individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. All right? You've been listening to the We The People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski, and we'll be back after these messages. The We The People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We The People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We The People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. When you're playing a video, including our podcast, you'll see this little cloud button and if you click it, it'll actually download the po- the video to your hard disk. And this works on our podcast page as well. If, you, if you're playing our podcast, and it's going to be loud, so I won't play it for much, but there's our podcast playing, and you can see this little you know download button, okay? The other thing you got to notice on our podcast page is that there's a link here where you can send me a message about this podcast hey it was great hey i didn't like it what you know something was wrong or here's a correction that kind of thing you can use that link and then these are the stories that i covered in this particular podcast and you'll see there's links that go to the stories that to the articles that i used in reporting on that so you can you can click on that um, you'll also see that um, you can sign up for our emails and text messages, but you can also watch our podcast on Roku TV and on Amazon Fire TV. And these are the instructions for doing that. So this is all on our, our podcast page, right? Right on the front page where the yellow button was. So if you click there, you know, this is our podcast page. These are the instructions for watching on Roku TV or Amazon Fire. And I watch our podcast on TV. It just feels more comfortable. Uh, so you can do that. We're also on Rumble. Uh, if you go to Rumble, uh, you should join Rumble. Uh, and, you know, it's Tom Z at WTPC. You'll see our podcast there. So you can get us a lot of different ways, including on Apple iTunes. And then this is an audio uh, version of our podcast. If you click here, it'll just play the audio of the podcast. It will not, uh, you know, uh, you know, show you the video. So people can, you know, listen to that while they're jogging or, you know, working out, working in the yard or just relaxing and just want to listen to the audio and not watch the video. And again, this is available on phone, on your iPad, on your laptop, on your computer, any way you want. And you can share, you know, this, this, you know, whatever you see, if you're on a page that you, you know, you really like and you know, you see an article that you think, geez, I've got to share this article, you know, with uh, someone in my family. You can send them an email by clicking on the little envelope. You can uh, post it on Parler or MeWe. If you click on this, you get all kinds of options, you know, where you can put it on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, which we don't support, but uh, you can do whatever you want. So, so we ask that you share what uh, you see on our We The People Convention site and that um, you get more people to look at it 
because uh, that's the whole idea here, to help uh, educate people, inform them. And then, as I said uh, before, Link, we're not just about talk, we're about action. And in my podcast every week, uh, which is published every Saturday, so if you, you know, the new podcast usually comes out every Saturday. And in that podcast, I will ask you to do certain things that will help protect and defend your individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. So that's the We The People Convention website. Come back often, use it uh, to be informed, be informed, and uh, share it with others. Thanks a lot. All right, and thank you for watching this podcast. Thank you for going to our website. Uh, thank you for signing up for our emails and text messages. Uh, thank you for following us on Twitter and MeWe and on uh, True Social. Uh, you know, thank you for watching our videos on Roku or uh, Amazon Prime uh, or on Rumble. Um, you know, it's it's all about sharing the information because, as you're seeing, you know, with Twitter not allowing me to promote, you know, that the tweet I made about January 6th, it's all about censorship. So the only way around it is for you to share it, okay? That's the bottom line. And if you want to stay in touch most closely, download the We The People Convention phone app at uh, the Google Play Store or Apple Store and uh, download it. It's, it's WTPC Space Convention. Download and install that app, and you can see all the stories and watch the videos, but you can also get notifications from me when we need to act when something's going on. This year... It's going to be nuts, folks. It's just going to be nuts. It's already been like drinking out of a fire hose. There's fights going on. I, 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 my, I'm just, my phone is blowing up. There's fights in every direction. We've got to fight those fights. We've got to win enough of those fights to win the war. And that's what you've got to be ready to do, and that's what I asked you to do last week. So we're going to get on with the second half of the show. This was really, really good news. And I sent this out, and you guys lit up our website. Thousands of you came to read this story. True the Vote wins Georgia voter integrity case. Big, big news. Houston, Texas. True the Vote declares a decisive triumph in their legal battle against Stacey Abrams' fair fight legal teams led by Mark Elias and the Biden Department of Justice. A federal court in Northern District of Georgia today affirmed that citizens have the right to lawfully petition their government in support of election integrity without fear of persecution or prosecution. In a resounding vindication, True the Vote successfully defended its actions of December 2020, aiding Georgia citizens in filing election challenges based on data showing over 364,000 voters appeared to be ineligible on the voter rolls in Georgia. Uh, the victory is a testament to every American's constitutional right to free speech and the importance of actively participating in the electoral process. True the Vote President Catherine Engelbrecht affirmed, Today's ruling sends a clear message to those who would attempt to control the courts of our nation through lawfare and intimidation. American citizens will not be silenced. True the Vote lead attorney Jake Evans stated, after almost three years of litigation and two-week federal trial with plaintiff calling 12 witnesses, Judge Stephen Jones awarded a complete defense verdict for all defendants. This decision is monumental. It's a, it vindicates true the vote in totality and established that eligible challenges, eligibility challenges under Section 230 are a proper method to ensure voter rolls are accurate. I am grateful to help achieve this great victory. Engelbrecht added, this is an answer to the prayers of the faithful patriots across America. 
Full disclosure, we the People Convention donates to True the Vote. Tom and Nan Zawistowski donate to True the Vote. Many of you do. This fight was critical. What Stacey Abrams and Mark Elias were trying to do was criminalize your looking at the voter rolls to see if that neighbor who moved out of state two years ago is still eligible to vote. They wanted to criminalize it. They called it voter intimidation, that you check the eligibility. That's literally what they were trying to do in this bogus court case. Again, lawfare. What is lawfare? Three years in court. How much did that cost? Catherine put out a a thing before Christmas. They need to raise $500,000 for legal fees. That's how they're trying to stop us. But they won, and they can't stop us now. You have a right, and you should inspect your, you know, the the the, the uh, voter rosters in your precinct in your district. You should challenge anyone who shouldn't be on the rolls. And if you go to True the Votes website, they'll tell you how to do it. But this was a big deal, and again, it's going to help us. Make this a fairer election because it's not just true the vote. There's all kinds of other groups that are working in this space. You know, Mike Lindell and other people. They're not just going to do this with impunity. But this case was a big deal, and congratulations to True the Vote and 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 you know their attorneys. What a great great bit of news to start the new year. That and then the Supreme Court taking up the Colorado case. Those are were good victories for us this week. We had a pretty good week. So then, this story came out. This will not surprise you, but you need to understand it, okay? You need to understand it. The free money has run out, and it shows in the polls. The third and largest round of financial stimulus was in uh, March of 2021. That's when Biden's popularity peaked at 55%, as you can see on this chart, okay? But since then, incomes have been rising, and so has wages, but inflation is eating it all up. So everyone's losing ground. They have less money than they had before. And so what's his approval rating? His approval rating went from 55% to 38%. He was 17 points up. Now he's 17 points down. Okay? And that's because they were buying votes. Let's see. Three rounds of fiscal stimulus because of COVID. Round one, March 2020, 1200 per income tax father, 500 per child was the CARES Act under Trump. Round two, December 2020, $600 per income tax father, 600 per child. That was the Consolidated Appropriations Act under Trump. Round three in March 2021, which was totally unnecessary, 1400 per income tax filer, 1400 per child, American Rescue Plan Act from Biden. The three rounds of free money, fiscal stimulus, literally a helicopter drop of money, plus eviction moratoriums put an unprecedented amount of money in people's hands. In addition, unemployment insurance paid people more to not work than they received working. Okay? But now that's gone. So are they going to do it again? Is Biden going to try to do that again? Well, he's going to have a problem because the Republicans have to approve it. Okay? We just passed... No one talked about it. This month, gender, December, $34 trillion is our national debt now. 
34 trillion. You know what our national gross domestic product is? You know how much money we as a nation produce every year? 26.5 trillion. Our debt is bigger than our annual income. Okay? How much is our personal debt? Now that 26 point uh, that 34 trillion is our government debt which belongs to us. But we also, because Americans can't afford their bills, are, we have a trillion dollars in credit cards now. Guess what's going on? Our uh, personal debt this year in 2023 was $17 trillion. On top of that $34 trillion, we're going broke. So will the Republicans give Biden a bunch of money to buy votes? I sure as hell hope not. I sure as hell hope not. But, but you can see what effect it has. You can see what effect it has. Okay, let's get on to some other news that maybe you didn't get the real story, the full story. Oh, the Epstein stuff. Who were these guys that were going to pedophile island and having sex with these underage girls? That's not the story. That's not the story. Jeffrey Epstein ran sex blackmail operation for intelligence agencies, new evidence suggests. Okay, the story isn't about who these people were that were having sex with these underage girls. Yes, they should be charged with pedophilia. They're sick, sick people, including Bill Clinton. Okay, we got that. But the story is different. The, the release of new court documents from a lawsuit related to Jeffrey Epstein yesterday provide little, if any, new fodder for conspiracy theorists who remain fixated on Mr. Epstein's dealings with four, more than four years after his death, according to the New York Times. The documents, the Times claimed, reinforce what the public already knew, namely that pedophile financier Epstein and his associate, Ghislaine Maxwell, made young and often underage women available for sex to powerful men. In fact, that's not true. Because it came from the New York Times. It's got to be a lie. The New York Times can't print the truth ever. Okay? That's why it's garbage. In fact, the documents offer new evidence and insights into how Epstein and Maxwell appeared to be blackmailing powerful individuals all bite, all bite to mysterious ends. A judge ordered the release of court documents, which were from a case brought by Epstein's victim, Virginia Gurfrey, against Maxwell in 2015. The party settled in 2017. Maxwell is currently serving a 20-year prison sentence. It's true that some of the information released yesterday had already come to light. Last April, for example, the Wall Street Journal reported that current director of Central Intelligence Agency, William Burns, had scheduled three meetings with Epstein in 2014. At the time, Burns was Deputy Secretary of State. A deputy Secretary of State. According to the journal, they met in Washington, D.C. and at Epstein's townhouse in Manhattan. The journal bases reporting on Epstein's own emails and schedules. In 2019, reporter Vicki Ward from the Daily Beast wrote a story about the Justice Department's 2007 non-prosecution agreement with Epstein. Where others might have been gone to prison for similar crimes, Epstein made a deal with the U.S. Attorney's Office and avoided federal prosecution for sexually abusing young girls by pleading guilty to state prosecution charges in Florida. Under this agreement, Epstein avoided a potential life sentence and served only 13 months in a work release program. That same year, another Epstein's victim alleged that he had cameras in his house to monitor people. That claim lent further credence to the theory that Epstein was collecting compromising material on influential figures. Listen, here's the bottom line. Jeffrey Epstein was a spy. He, he worked not just for the U.S. government, not just for the CIA, 
but he worked for Mossad. He worked for the Germans. He worked for the Brits. He worked for a lot of people. Okay. That's why they went after Prince Andrew so that the, the British intelligence agencies could blackmail him. All right. Here's the question that no one asks. And Charlie Kirk deserves credit for this. Where did Epstein get the money? They claim he was a Wall Street financier. There's no evidence of that. The guy was a history teacher, I think, at a, at a, 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 a private school, K-12 school in Manhattan, and got fired. All of a sudden, he ends up having jets. How much does it cost to own an island? Okay? Charlie Kirk disclosed that a, a, a guy who's a real... The guy who owns uh, Victoria's Secrets, Lex Wexner, who's a billionaire from Ohio, this guy has been involved with the gay mafia. He's a big supporter of John Kasich and all the other gays in the Republican Party in Ohio. Lex Wexner gave Jeffrey Epstein a house in Manhattan with 40 rooms worth $77 million for free. Why? Who does that? Well, Lex Wexner also had ties to the Israeli intelligence community. Okay? Yes, this was and this was a spy ring. Yet yeah, it was it was it's it's sick because it was about pedophilia, it was about you know raping young girls. But that's not the bigger story. The bigger story was the manipulation of governments in the Western Hemisphere. That's what was really going on here. No one's talking about that story. You got to understand, this is the deep state. Jeffrey Epstein was part of the deep state. Okay, so then this other thing comes out this week, and this is pretty bizarre. 231 military personnel and veterans sent Joint Chiefs Declaration of Military Accountability. I think you probably heard about this, but what's this really about? The point of the letter, as you will read, is to conduct uh, is the conduct of military leaders regarding the use of experimental vaccines during the COVID-19 pandemic. The letter lays out a general plan of accountability and a call to action for those who share the views of the authors. It does not incite violence or call for signatories and sympathizers to violate their oaths of office. So what does it do? An open letter to the American people from the signatories of the Declaration of Military Accountability. In the course of human events, it is sometimes becomes necessary to admonish the lawless, encourage the faint-hearted, and strengthen the weak. We have reached just a time in our history. The affairs of our nation are now steep in a, of vicarious in of vicarious corruption and our once stalwart institutions, including the Department of Defense, are failing to fulfill the moral obligations upon which they were formed. Standing upon our natural and constitutional rights, we hereby apprise the American people that we, the undersigned, have exhausted all internal efforts to recently uh, to rectify recent criminal activity within the armed forces. In the Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers sought separation. We seek no separation, but through this letter and the efforts we pledge herein, we pursue restoration through accountability. We intend to rebuild trust and restore the rule of law, particularly within the armed forces. Ultimately, we strive to once and become, again become a moral people, restoring our nation and making again worthy of the great gift of liberty won by the colonial era, era American people. 
Now, again, you know, it's supposed to be about COVID, but it sounds like it's about what we're talking about, why the flag's upside down, right? So what's going on here? While implementing the COVID vaccine mandate, military leaders broke the law, trampled constitutional rights, denied informed consent, permitted unwilling medical experimentation, and suppressed the free exercise of religion. Service members and their family were significantly harmed by these actions. Their suffering continues to be felt financially, emotionally, and physically today. These individuals enabled, and then it goes on to mention General Milley, General Grady, McConaughey, a whole list of, of generals, okay? And it says these individuals enabled lawlessness and the unwilling experimentation on service members. The moral and physical injuries they helped inflict are significant. They betrayed the trust of service members and the American people. Their actions caused irreparable harm to the armed forces and the institutions for which we have fought and bled. These leaders refuse to resign or take any other action to hold themselves accountable, nor have they attempted to repair their harm or to the harm their policies and actions have caused. Since there has yet to be any accountability, the undersigned give our word to do everything morally permissible and legally possible to hold our own leadership accountable. We intend to rebuild trust by demonstrating that leaders cannot uh, cast aside constitutional rights or the law for political expediency. Okay, so what are you going to do, right? The bottom line is, when are the people in the military going to stand up and, and go to Congress and be whistleblowers and stop this? But I have a bigger question. First of all, there's 231 signatories, and they're trying to get more. I get that, okay? There should be like 2,300,000 of vets in existing military because our military is a woke, broke joke. And we're not ready to fight the wars that we may be facing. And my biggest question is, what about the freaking border? If you are the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Joint Chiefs of Staff, if you're the head of the Air Force, the Army, the Marines, whatever group it is, there are tens of thousands of Chinese of military age crossing our border why weren't they met with American troops? Screw the, the Border Patrol. Screw the FBI, the DOJ, Mayorkas, and all those people. You're in charge defending our country. Why didn't you take any damn action? Is that a good question? How come no one's asking that question? How come no one in the Senate is asking that damn question? Whose job is it to defend our country? the military this is an invasion where are they yeah because they're political hacks not because they're the military that we're supposed to have so these 231 people i'm glad you signed your letter and i'm glad you're going to fight for you know to get rid of the woke stuff okay but it's nowhere near enough we're in serious trouble and you've got to act and, and, and there's just not enough people acting. That, that's, that's just the problem there. So speaking of acting, this is a great story. And when you've got to share far and wide, and a surprising story to me, Florida Surgeon General calling for a federal halt to the use of mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. Florida Surgeon General Joseph uh, Lapado is doing what many doctors urge officials to do two years ago calling for the federal government to halt uh, the use of MRA COVID-19 vaccines. Well, why? 
A January 3rd press release from Lopato's office explains that he sent U.S. Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Robert M. Kaloff and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Dr. Mandy Cohen a letter in December. Lopato pointed to the discovery that every single dose of the COVID-19 vaccines manufactured by Moderna and Pfizer contains billions of fragments of DNA. Whoa, what? According to Lopato, these fragments could lead to various severe and even life-threatening health conditions. Yet he has seen no evidence that the FDA assessed the vaccines for the very DNA integration risk that even the FDA has not acknowledged for years. Then the Potter cited the FDA's own industry guidance from 2007 about DNA vaccines and regulatory limits. DNA integration could theoretically impact a human's oncogenes, O-N-C-O-G-E-N-E-S, the genes which can transform a healthy cell into a cancerous cell. Is that why so many people that had cancer in remission who got the shot are suddenly having cancer again? DNA integration may result in chromosomal instability. The guidance for industry discusses biodistribution of DNA vaccines and how such integration could affect unintended parts of the body, including blood, oh, blood clots, heart, oh, myocarditis, brain, liver, kidney, bone, marrow, ovaries, testes, lung, lymph nodes, spleen, and the site of administration and subchitis at the injection site. In light of this, he's saying, stop it. Stop pushing the vaccine, okay? Lakita insists DNA integration poses a unique and elevated risk to human health and to the integrity of the human genome, including the risk that DNA ingredients uh, integration into sperm or egg gametes could be passed on to offspring of mRNA COVID vaccine recipients. If the risk of DNA integration has not been assessed for mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, these vaccines are not appropriate for use in human beings. It is sobering to think how many millions of Americans took these vaccines, many under pressure, without the proper testing for their safety. Providers concerned about patient health risks associated with COVID-19 should prioritize patient access to non-MRA COVID-19 vaccines and treatment, Lopato concluded. It is my hope that in regards to COVID-19, the FDA will one day seriously consider its regulatory responsibility to protect human health, including the integrity of the human genome. I thought that was a bombshell. You need to share that story because that's serious stuff. And yet I just saw that the, uh, uh, you know, the, the FDA and these guys are telling people to take their eighth dose. Their eighth dose. It's you know, AMAC. The, the, the retirement you know, group that's a lefty organization is telling their members, take go get the COVID vaccine. No. What are you, stupid? No, you're not stupid. You're lied to. Because you know what? The people you know won't see that story unless you share it with them from the We The People Convention website. Okay? That's what's happening. They're not stupid. They're being hurt intentionally by our government. That's why the flag's upside down, okay? All right, this is another important story. This is about, you know, what's going on in Israel. And I got a, a really heartfelt letter from one of our members basically saying, Tom, you know, I know that the attack on Israel was terrible, but isn't what's going on in, 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 in you know, with the, uh, the Palestinians genocide? 
And in this story, Israel strikes kill multiple Hamas leaders in Lebanon. And that was a good thing because it's, it's like the Nazis. Remember when the, the Mossad and the Israeli uh, intelligence people hunted down the, uh, the, Israel, uh, the Nazi you know, uh, you know, death camp operators all over South America and all over the world for decades after World War II? Well, Benjamin Netanyahu says all the Hamas leadership need to be killed wherever they are. So they had to strike uh, a joint Mossad IDF military intelligence operation in Lebanon has led to the death of numerous top Hamas leaders. Salid Arari, the leader of Hamas's military operation in the West Bank and the man responsible for facilitating money and weapons transfers to the group since the 1980s, and others were killed when the building in which they were meeting with other resistant factions in Beirut was bombed by a drone. Okay? But back to the letter that I got. And again, I read your emails. You can write to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. I said, what is going on with Hamas and the Palestinians isn't genocide. You have never heard the Israeli government or Israelis say, all Arabs must die. That's genocide. The Arabs say, all Jews must die. That's genocide. What you're seeing now is war, okay? And here's the bottom line. This isn't a, a, a human, you know, a, a humanitarian crisis. The Iranians and, and the Hamas and Hezbollah are using these poor Palestinians as fodder. They're cannon fodder. They could evacuate them. And what about Egypt and, and Jordan and Saudi Arabia and all the other Arab countries? How come they won't take these people in? Yet they want, there's only 2 million of them. We've had 10 million people come in the United States in Joe Biden's three years. There's 2 million of these people. They won't take them in the Arab countries, but the Israelis should have them live right next to them and plan to kill them? No. No. That's not it. Israel is totally in, in its rights to destroy Hamas and destroy this threat. Because I got news for you. We are so, we're not just, we're not stupid. They're doing it on purpose. The, the lefties in the Biden administration know that the money that they sent to Iran, the $6 billion loan forgiveness and all that stuff, they know it's getting used for terrorist activities. They want that. They hate America. They hate Israel. People in the U.S. government hate America. Okay? They want Iran to have this money to attack us. All this aid that we give, humanitarian aid, we, we did a story like three shows ago where the woman said, oh, all the food and stuff goes down the tunnels. It goes down the tunnels. We don't get any of it. Their people are starving. They don't care. In their quote faith, Islamic faith, they're martyrs, don't you know? Whether they want to be or not, right? They're going to be sacrificed. So don't give me this crap about humanitarian crisis. This is war. We support Israel's right to defend itself, and Hamas needs to be wiped off the face of the earth and everyone who supports them. Because I got news for you. They don't understand anything but strength. Anything. And that's why we're in danger, because we're showing weakness, and they smell it. Okay, this last piece, I, I just, I'm just going to laugh at it. 
This just started coming out this week. Trump received millions from foreign governments as president report finds. House Democrats released evidence that he took in at least $7.8 million from foreign entities while in office, engaging in the kind of conduct that GOP is grasping, don't you know, to pin on President Biden. <laughs> you you got to love this piece of crap, okay? And they're getting trashed, and you need to trash them about this. Because what they're saying is, oh, you know, if a foreign government booked rooms at any uh, Trump hotel, or they went and golfed at a Trump resort, that that's the same as Joe Biden getting $10 million to fire the prosecutor, okay, in Ukraine, who is, is, is trying to shut down Burisma. There's no comparison. It's not the same thing. And the money didn't go right to Trump. It went to the corporation. And it wasn't a bribe, Okay. But they're trying to do, oh, because now we're going to impeach Biden. Well, we're going to show that Trump did the same things, don't you know? Now, Trump didn't do the same things. Trump didn't do the same things. This is BS. Call it so. Call it so. Okay? Uh, many of you in Ohio know that we've been fighting with our governor, DeWine. I talked to you last week about that. President Trump. You'll call them out. Former President Trump said, I'm finished with this stiff DeWine after the veto of House Bill 68. Um, Trump said, uh, DeWine has fallen to the radical left. No wonder he gets loudly booed in every in Ohio every time I introduce him at rallies. But I won't be introducing him anymore. I'm finished with this stiff. What was he thinking, Trump posted on Truth, Truth Social? The bill would have stopped child mutilation and prevented men from playing in women's sports. Legislator will hopefully, legislature will hopefully overtune. Do it fast. Okay? So here's an ask for you all in Ohio. DeWine is making a fool of himself. He had a press conference yesterday where, understand, he vetoes the SAFE Act, HB 68, by saying that it's wrong for the state to tell parents what to do with their trans child. He then holds a press conference yesterday announcing an executive order forbidding transgender treatment for underage children, which is exactly what the SAFE Act did, which he vetoed. He's getting the crap beat out of him by every conservative group in the country and in state, it's just been nuts. But if he had any brains, if he had any dignity, if he was an honest broker, he should have came to, the, to his press conference on Friday and said, ladies and gentlemen, I have heard from the people of Ohio. I have reconsidered. I've heard from legislators. I have heard from you know the national media. I've heard from the local media. I made a mistake. And I've reconsidered, and I'm going to sign the bill. But he didn't do that. So what he did is he now he, he completely, once again, ignores the whole women's sports aspect, which is half of HB 68, doesn't address that at all, and says, I'm going to do this executive order, which, oh, by the way, could be changed very easily at any time because he wants to head off the overturning of his veto. We can't allow that to happen. The House is coming back in session next week. There is a call. They have to go first because they introduced the bill. It's HB 68. They, we, they are going to vote, and we're going to overturn this. And then it's going to go to the Senate, and it's going to be done. And 
Mike DeWine is going to be embarrassed and just shoveled off. His last thing in history will be a disgrace. But that doesn't happen unless all you patriots in Ohio contact your House members and your Senate members this coming week and demand that they overturn this veto. Demand it. Because I got news for you. And here's what you say to them, and you say it straight up. There's a primary on March 19th. That's like two months away. Every one of these House members is on the ballot. You make it clear to them, if you don't vote to overturn this veto, I will vote for your opponent in the primary, and you're gone. Understand? That's the deal. There is no compromise here. This is bullcrap. We spent three years bringing this law into play. Now we got to fight to win it, which we shouldn't have to do. They should just do their damn job. But you got to get in their grill and let them know that if they don't override this veto, they're done. They're done. You're out of government. Don't worry. They'll get the message. Another important ask for this week. This was good news this week. And I think, you know, it's, it's a trend that's going to help us a long, long way. Harvard President Claudine Gay resigns following plagiarism allegations and anti-Semitism testimony. Whoa, she was never going to step down. The Harvard boards, you know, uh, met and said, no, no, we're going to keep her, even though she's a plagiarist, until they, they were just so damn embarrassed they, they couldn't help it. Harvard President Claudine Gay has resigned following allegations of plagiarism a month after testimony before Congress, where she refused to state that calling up for genocide of Jews was considered harassment. In the letter of resignation, Gay said that stepping down is not a decision I came to easily. It has become clear that it is in the best interest of Harvard for me to resign so that our community can navigate this moment of extraordinary challenge with a focus on the institution rather than on the, on, on the individual. She took no responsibility for the plagiarism. They're not allegations. They're proven. More are coming out every day. Nor the state of campus hatred towards Jews in Israel, in which she did nothing about. She said nothing about that. Despite the resignation as university president, Miss Gay will remain as a Harvard faculty member at a pay of $500,000 a year. This incompetent, woke joke who the, the woke left made their poster child has exposed them as the complete phonies that they are. And now they're going to pay her $500,000 a year? She, she has a degree in like diversity, equity, and inclusion. She has no ability at all. She wrote next to nothing. She's not a scholar. She shouldn't be working at Harvard at all. Okay. And so what, you know what the claim on TV was? If you watched MSLSD and the Clinton News Network and you read the New York Times and Washington Post, you know what they said? She was fired because of racism, because she was black. Oh, oh yeah, I got news for you. She was hired because of racism, because she was black. She is the racist. You, MSLSD, CNN, Washington Post, Democrats, you're the racist. You're racist against white people. This proves it. You lose. Have a nice day. More to come. More to come. This story just warmed my heart. And I bet you guys were surprised when I tweeted it out 
and sent it out, but it's true. U.S. produced more oil in 2023 than any nation ever in history. In history. Are you kidding me? Have you been wondering? You know, they're having trouble in the Red Sea, okay, with the Hutus, you know, stopping transportation. The Saudis are reducing oil production. And yet our gas prices have come down quite a bit. They're still not as low as when Trump was president. It's still hurting us, but they've come down. I said, well, how the hell is that happening? Well, here's your answer. The U.S. is now producing more crude oil than any country ever has in history because Texas oil and gas companies and Texas independents in particular are growing production in the Permian Basin. Here's the obvious part. Uh, Number one, the return to record crude oil production in the United States, and two, the fact that the U.S. is now producing more crude oil on a daily basis than any country ever has. It speaks particularly well of our economic system and the dogged ingenuity of U.S. oil and gas producers that we can indeed grow crude oil production to this level, and that we can do so even in the face of an administration and one of two major national political parties who become fanatically anti-U.S. oil and gas and anti-petroleum energy as they bow at the after uh, bow at the altar of the climate change you know, ideology. This means that, in actuality, they're actually anti-prosperity, anti-human flourishing, anti-abundant anti-affordable and reliable energy to to the detriment and peril of their own economy and their own citizens. And disturbingly, it also means that they are anti-development for the masses of populations around the world that have yet to escape energy poverty, much less experience the splendor of energy abundance and all the blessings that come with it. Okay? So in the face of all of this, of, of the Biden administration taking land off the blocks, you know, not, you know, you're cutting, forcing banks to, like BlackRock to look at your, you know, your, um, your, uh, your climate score, right? To, you know, to make sure that, you know, you're, you're doing things properly. All the regulations, the EPA and plan, we reached a new record. How'd they do it? How did they do it? You know what they did? The Texas independence in the Permian didn't even bring in more derricks, more drilling. They kept working to make each of their their uh, drilling operations more efficient. This came from American ingenuity. That's where this came from. American ingenuity. Even though they're trying to strangle our energy people, they wouldn't let them. They kept fighting. That's what America's all about. That's why we're going to win. That's why we're going to defeat these morons, these woke joke idiots. So let's see here. As, as was the case pre-COVID, production declines implemented by OPEC plus uh, means one thing. The U.S. led by Texas will fill that gap and OPEC will cede market share to the United States whether it likes it or not, and they don't like it one bit. Congratulations, particularly to Texas. Now, she says in this article, Ohio and other states have contributed, but no one's doing more than they are in Texas. And the same is true of natural gas. They didn't cover that in this story, but you can go to WeThePeopleConvention.org and read this story and share it with people because you need to be proud to be an American and proud that American business can overcome the fascism of American government, right? And we need to win in 2024 to get rid of the fascists in our government. So now I want to close on that topic. 
with an important story that I'm going to take a little time with as we wrap up the show. But this is the U.S. Supreme Court could dismantle federal government's powers in 2024. Now, we've, we've talked about this, but I want to go into a little more detail because, folks, this is really serious stuff. Multiple cases on the decade could permanently change the federal administrative state. While the U.S. Supreme Court slated to return to the session on January 8th, that's Monday, the second part of the high court's term could hand down rulings that either curb or expand the federal government's powers, sometimes known as the administrative state. Analysts have said that three cases that the high court is hearing related to the federal bureaucracy this term, including the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau versus Community Financial Services, the Securities and Exchange Commission versus Jarsky, and Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo. Now, now, those are the case names. What do they mean? Here's the one of the SEC case versus Jarsky. Hedge fund manager George Jarsky was penalized by the SEC for violating securities fraud law, which he appealed. The U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal sided with the plaintiff, arguing in a ruling that the SEC violated the Constitution's Seventh Amendment, which provides the right to have a jury trial. It also found that Congress engaged in overreach by delegating its own power when allowing an agency, in this case the SEC, to hold the administrative proceedings rather than file a lawsuit in civil court against Mr. Jarsky. Now, here's the key things about this. It is really important, this part about government, that the Congress is delegating its own power to allow agencies to basically make law. That's what all three of these things are about. Forcing Congress to do its damn job because we have this bureaucratic administrative state because Congress gave their power to them, to some jamoke you never elected to tell you what you can do. And so this case, okay, the Supreme Court argument in that case was heard on November 29th. According to court reporters, the argument focused on whether the Constitution 7th Amendment bars the federal securities agency from issuing penalties in internal proceedings without giving the defendant the ability to a jury trial. So this is this other thing about federal agencies having their own courts, having their own police. They're like their own damn government with no control. The decision in that case could throw all that out. Here's the next one. CFPB, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, versus Community Financial Services of America. In the CFP case, the agency has asked the Supreme Court to rescind a ruling by a lower court that determined the agency's funding structure runs afoul of the Constitution. That ruling was also handed down by the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals earlier this year. Now, lawyers for the DOJ argue in their petition that the ruling calls into question virtually every CFBB action since the agency's inception in 2011 under the Obama administration. This is Obama's baby, okay? The case stems from a challenge by two payday lending groups that sued to overturn a CFPB rule aimed at combating what agency calls unfair and abusive practices in the industry. You will recall that Obama basically created this agency out of out of air without congressional approval and then went after the payday lending groups which are very active in the black community and minority communities the problem was those those groups though they were predatory lenders they were needed in those communities and when they took them out they hurt those communities all right and so this case is going to bring you know whether this whole agency is null and void 
They had no authority to do what they did. And then this last one, Loper Bright Enterprises versus Riamondo. This is the key one. In May 2023, the high court opted to take the case, Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo, which will decide on the question whether the court should overrule the Chevron Doctrine, which has long been criticized by conservatives who call it unconstitutional. Critics object to its application without a clear framework to resolve statutory ambiguity, leaving too much discretion with the courts to engage in results-oriented discussions. The decisions, the Chevron versus Natural Resource Defense Council case issued in 1984 is considered a key facet of administrator law and requires that courts defer to federal agencies responsible for interpretation of statutes that are unclear. In other words, what Chevron said was that Congress passed this law. They didn't tell the agency specifically where the law applies and where it doesn't. So under Chevron, the EPA, the, the, the SBA, whatever agency is, the Agriculture Department, they could just say, well, we think Congress meant that. And when you went to court to get the court to give you a fair hearing, Chevron said, oh, the court must defer to the federal agency bureaucrats. How's that a fair trial? How is that Congress doing a damn job? We are where we are because we have too much government, too many laws, and it's because Congress just gave up their damn responsibility and gave it to these bureaucrats who are ruining our lives in our country. So these three cases will do as much as Trump and Project 25 and everything else we want to do to fix what's wrong with our country. Okay. The case, according to the University of Georgia School of Law Professor Adam Ford, is significant because the Chevron Doctrine is, poten is potentially implicated any time a federal agency makes a rule to implement a federal statute and chooses to fill in gaps or do any other thing not specifically contemplated or voted on by Congress, adding that there are thousands of rulemakings by agencies each year. We don't want that. That's not good for you and me. That's good for bureaucrats. That's good for lobbyists. That's good for big business who wants to use the force of government against your little business. And then this guy goes on to say, as one of the most used decision rules in federal courts, any significant change to the way courts review agency rulemaking authority will have wide-ranging impacts on the functioning of the entire federal bureaucracy, particularly in a legislative environment like today, where it is probably not possible for Congress to agree on legislation containing extremely detailed instructions on many issues that are currently the subject of regulation, he wrote as a defender of the bureaucracy. You know what I write? I wrote, Congress, if you can't take the time to spell out exactly what that law you just passed means and doesn't mean, then don't pass it. There should be no law. If you can't make it simple, it shouldn't happen. And that's the whole damn problem. So folks, the Supreme Court and Donald Trump and you fighting in 2016 to elect him and he appointing through God's grace four Supreme Court justices who believe in the Constitution, supposedly, we'll see, 
are going to be the key to us getting our republic back because they're going to help us destroy the deep state, take the power and the funding out of their hands, okay? Make our representatives freaking represent us and then rule on who can be taken off the ballot or not. Rule on whether you know Trump uh, has immunity. Rule on whether Jack Smith is legitimate or not. Rule on all the January 6th prisoners that I began with that scroll who are charged with obstructing an official proceedings. They could throw that all out by July. End of June. Ladies and gentlemen, we are engaged in the battle of our lives. But we're positioned to win. We are positioned to win. And you need to believe that. And you need to be a happy warrior. You need to believe that we're going to win. That we're going to stop them from cheating the elections. You know, we talked last week about all the stuff they'll do. They'll, they won't turn over power. They'll try to take us by force. Uh-uh. I don't believe that one second. I don't believe that one second. They need to avoid us taking the action that I asked you to consider last week. You need to be willing to take that action so that we have mutually assured destruction where nobody wins. And if we don't do that, they're going to destroy us. Okay? That's why you had to have that conversation last week. Okay, so we're going to wrap up the podcast. And most importantly, you got to tell other people about this podcast. You got to share it far and wide. You know, so you got to watch it, then you got to share it. Then you need to write to me and tell me, did I make a mistake? Do you agree? Do you disagree? And write to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Then if you can, I need you to donate. Our expenses are going to be insane. There's things we have to do that are going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. So if you can give, please give. If you can't give, we got it. Things are really tough, man. I know. It's tough for Nan and I. By the way, we don't get paid for doing this. Okay? No one at the Weedy People Convention gets paid. We pay expenses, but we don't get paid. We're doing this because we love our country. We're doing this because you put your hard-earned dollars into helping us fight. And we respect that. We're in this together to the end. And we cannot lose as long as we don't quit. And I'm sure as hell in no mood to quit anything. I'm on offense, baby. We're coming after our enemies. We're going to make America great again. We're going to elect Donald Trump. We're going to win the Senate. We're going to win the House. And then we're going to make those sons of bitches do their job. Okay? That's what we're about. So, several asks in the show. Watch the Jake Lang documentary. And I keep getting the name wrong, folks. It'll be linked on our podcast page. But the name of it is uh, PatriotDayMovie.com. PatriotDayMovie.com. Watch that. Go to the link on our podcast page and watch my podcast from the day after. I think it was on the 8th of January 8th of 2021. And, and, and take a little Wayback Machine visit. I thought I did a great job that day, and when I watched it again, I thought I did as well. Share the picture of the four you know, who were killed. Make sure that everyone knows who they are. Bring it up again if I can find my bloody picture. Okay? You know, make sure that they know who these people are. Roseanne Borland, Benjamin Phillips, Ashley Babbitt, Kevin Greeson. 
make sure you post that everywhere. Go to Tom Z WTPC at Twitter at MeWe and at True Social and repost my post. Okay, but I'll have that picture linked, and and then drive your congressman crazy this week. The border isn't shut. The government is shut. If the border's open, the government's not open. It's not, it's not negotiable. We're done. The invasion needs to stop right the hell now. I don't care what you have to do. Hold them accountable. Put unbelievable pressure on them. In Ohio, call your House and Senate members. Demand that they veto, override the veto. They override the veto. And make sure that the wine is just handed his head on this. Because we need to protect our children. We cannot have girls' rights destroyed by the left. We will protect our families. So in Ohio, that was an important ask. So thank you for watching today's podcast. I greatly appreciate it. I hope we did justice to January 6th in commemorating it. We remembered the dead. We remembered those who committed suicide because they were so tortured. We talked about all of them who are still being charged and are in prison. We talked about raising money for them. We, you know, we know that until they are free, until they are compensated, until they are pardoned, until the people that did this to them are held accountable to the laws we have where you don't torture people who won't plead the way you want, where you don't not get a speedy trial, where you don't get a change of venue, all those people need to be prosecuted, and then punished according to our law. We are fighting lawlessness, fascism, Marxism, totalitarian control, where we are slaves to the state. We are for individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. We are for the rule of law, not men. And we are fighting to restore those values in our great nation and lead the world into a future that you just can't imagine with the technology that's going to be available. We are going to just, the world is going to be the greatest you've ever seen, but we got to win it right here with Donald Trump and make America great again. Okay? So have faith, have courage. God willing, you'll be back next week, and so will I. Please tell others about this podcast, and we'll be back hopefully next Saturday. You've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast, and my name is Tom Zawistowski. God bless you, and God bless America. Happy New Year. It's going to be a good year. Twilight